Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Today we're kicking off a brand new series that we're calling Fixer Upper. And so just kind of out of curiosity off the top of the day today, how many of you have actually seen the HGTV show Fixer Upper? All right, fellas, raise your hand. All right, I know many of you are bashful in that moment, but you've done that. Clearly a lot of you need something to do with your free time. Uh, that's awesome. No, man, we, we watch that show uh, pretty frequently at my house. And, uh, you know, I, I know how the, the deal goes. Everybody wants to build like Chip and everybody wants to decorate like Joanna, right? But you can't, all right? you can't. That's why they got a TV show and you don't. But uh, for those of you who maybe have never seen that show before, started in 2013. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple in Waco, Texas, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and they've kind of made a business out of building furniture and redoing or remodeling houses. And so if you've never seen an episode, kind of the way it goes down is they, they take an individual or a couple and they say, hey, here's three just run down, beat up houses. Which one of those do you want to be your house? Uh, which one of those do you want us to fix up? And so Somebody will pick one of the houses, and they're like, this is the one we want to go to. And so the rest of the show, Chip and Joanna and their team put together what was the worst house in the neighborhood, and they make it the best house, the dream house, by redoing it both inside and out. And so if you've never seen the show before, I thought it'd be good to kind of start off by looking at some of the pictures, some of the example to prove that like they're, they're pretty good at what they do. And so uh, we've got a few pictures. You guys show them the first one. Uh, this is the outside of one of the houses they redid. And when they got a hold of it, it looked like this. All right, kind of... That's what I was thinking. If I would have done it, I would have made it look like that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and then the next one, uh, we got a picture of a living room. All right, massive uh, fireplace wall. And uh, then when they got a hold of it, it started looking like this. I mean, it's all right. Like, that's decent. It, it would have worked. Uh, and then finally, we've got the kitchen, right, the most important room in the house. And this is what it looked like before. And then after they got a hold of it, that's what it looked like. And all of the ladies salivated, right? Oh, man, would love to have that. And so, I mean, pretty drastic transformations that they take these houses and they fix them up to become this, right? And, and so maybe you're asking if it's your first time with us, a brand new series here, you're going like, cool, like, so during this series, we're all going to remodel our kitchens or our living rooms, right? Lowe's cards, Target gift cards given away at the door. No, I couldn't get that approved, all right? Uh, but we're going in a whole little different direction, but yet I still think very applicable uh, just for our journeys, because here's what I know. For many of you in the room today, without knowing your story or all of the relationships in your life, what I can know is that maybe for many of you, as you saw some of those before pictures of some of those homes or some of those rooms within homes, maybe it was a very reflective of some of the relationships right now in your life. Um, maybe it was reflective of your marriage or the relationship that you're in right now with your kids or with your parents, or maybe it's a, a friendship relationship or a relationship at your office or at your job site, or maybe it's with your in-laws. Hello. And for you, you're longing to know God's design for those relationships. And for many of you right now, the truth is that you're living with real pain or real anger or real frustration and real hurt because something in those relationships didn't go right. Something in those relationships is broken. And you've thought, if I could just figure out how to manage my spouse, if I could just figure out how to, how to lead my kids or how to tolerate my parents or how to fix this drama in my friend group, if I could just figure those things out, then life would be so much better. Life would be so much better. And what I know is that God has created us for relationships. If you look in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, He's created us for one another. That He says life is better when it's lived together. Yet for many of us, here's the tension relationships are the greatest area of tension in many of our lives. 
relationships is the greatest source of conflict for us. And so the goal of this series is not a home makeover, but our hope is that there would be a relationship makeover. As you begin to take your relationships and hopefully pair them up with God's design for how he's called you to live and do life. And so if you've got a copy of scripture, open up to Romans chapter 12. Um, that's where we're going to be today and over the next couple of weeks. Romans chapter 12, it's going to be right there towards the beginning of your New Testament. Uh, if you don't have a copy of scripture, we'll put the verses on the screen behind me. Um, and it, we're going to take about 10 minutes until we get there. And so you've got to go ahead and give it a little bit of a head start and we'll get to Romans 12 in just a little bit. If you've ever seen a house remodeled or been part of one yourself and lived through it and stayed married in the middle of it, all right, congratulations on that. Um, But if you've ever been a part of that before, you know the goal is not to totally demolish the house and take it down to the ground and rebuild it. No, the goal of a remodel or restoration is to freshen it up. Maybe it gets a facelift on the outside with fresh paint or a new roof. Or maybe you take down a wall to open up space inside. Or maybe you insert a window to let more light in. The goal of of a restoration is not that we demolish and then rebuild. And the goal of this series is not that you would look at the relationships in your life and just totally wipe them out and start over. Now, for some of you, perhaps during the middle of this series, maybe God, through the truth of his word, will prompt you that some of the relationships that you're in right now are not life-giving, that they're not making you more like Jesus. And perhaps you need to pray through, God, is this a moment or a season where you're calling me to start over? But the goal in this series is to equip you in the middle of the relationships that God's given you, to equip you with the truth that you need to have successful and healthy relationships up under the design that God has given So just like in a remodeled house and what we saw a while ago, we see a before picture and we also see an after picture. And so over these few weeks together, my hope is that we'll kind of see a before picture of our relationships, of what what maybe they are now. And then we'd also see an after picture of what our relationships can be. And so the before picture will represent probably for many of you, maybe what the relationship looks like now when you do relationships in your own strength, with your own wisdom, maybe with a little bit of the world or the culture's input. But then on the other side, my hope is that we would all get a glimpse as we look into scripture on the after picture of what your relationships can look like should you choose to live under God's design. And so the first thing I want us to see as we begin to look into the uh, picture of God's design for us is the characteristic of love. I think we could all agree that love's an important part of every relationship that we're going to be in. There needs to be some degree of love. And so today I want us to examine that a little bit. And the first part of this before picture is going to be characterized by this, what we'll call hypocritical love. And when we do relationships apart from God's design, our relationships can be categorized by something called hypocritical love. In the ancient days, the Greeks and the Romans, those who would take on stage appearance or acting, they would wear a large mask to cover up their face and themselves to portray a certain character. And if you've studied drama before, you know, sometimes they would use a device to actually distort their voice so that they sounded different even than they did as a person. So they were trying to portray themselves as something that they were not really. And out of that, we get the meaning of the word hypocrite, meaning a person who pretends to have a certain value, belief, or feeling that they do not actually have. And maybe for some of you, again, in in your relationships that God's bringing to mind right now, Maybe you see what is demonstrated as a hypocritical love, where there's, there's a claim to a feeling or an emotion or a belief or a value, but the reality is it's not really possessed. It's not really there. And the truth is that a hypocritical love is actually an oxymoron because it's not really 
a love at all, a love that is simply spoken or claimed but is not possessed and demonstrated is not true love at all. There have been days uh, in my relationship with my wife, Heather, where she has looked at me and she has said, I just don't feel that you love me. All right. I know no other fella in the room has ever heard that, but you guys just track with me and walk through my personal experience. All right. She said, I just don't feel that you love me. And fellas, if you've been there before, you know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking eight plus years ago, I stood before a few hundred people, your folks, my folks, God and you. And I said, I do. Like I said, I love you. I do. And every day before I go to work, I tell you, I love you. And every night before we go to sleep, I look at you and I say, I love you. What do you mean? You don't feel that I love you. All right, fellas, are you with me on that? Okay. Don't amen. Don't do it. Don't do it. All right. Are you with me though? You with me in spirit? Here's the deal. What my wife is looking for is not words, but she is looking for the demonstration of what I claim. Because for me to merely speak words but not act on it is to be a hypocritical love, which again is not really a love at all. 1 John chapter 4 in the New Testament speaks towards this. It says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. They're a hypocrite. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Scripture says hypocritical love is a a result of a much deeper problem that there is no love of God really rooted in that person or in that relationship. And so we cannot merely claim love in our relationships, but we must learn to demonstrate that love as well. Or otherwise it begins to surface itself as a hypocritical love where one or both parties in the relationship claim to have a feeling or a value, but ultimately it's never shown or demonstrated. And so I think the first part of that, or the before picture, is categorized as a hypocritical love. But there's a second characteristic of relationship outside of God's design, and that's a convenient love. A convenient love. Can we just all agree as a culture, we are drawn to convenience. Like we love us some convenience. Think about it. You pull up to a restaurant and you're mad because they don't have a drive through right? We got we to gotta part. What are you talking about? Go inside and stand in line. But now if you go to the grocery store or Walmart, you don't technically have to go inside. Like if you can do your homework on the front end, they'll bring it out to you. Like swipe the card in the car. You don't even have to get out. How convenient is that? Or now if you're going to get your Christian chicken at Chick-fil-A, you don't have to stand in line. You just order through the Chick-fil-A one app on the way there. And it's going to be waiting on you because that line had been taking up so much of your life. We're drawn to convenience. Now, I think there's nothing wrong with being an efficient society. But I think where that begins to catch us is that we begin to fall into the trap of giving convenient love. Convenient love. We claim and demonstrate love as long as it's convenient for us, we'll, we'll claim and demonstrate love as, as long as it fits into our schedule or our preferences, or we'll, we'll give love as long as we might get something back. But the moment that it becomes uncomfortable, the moment that it begins to push us or stretch us a little bit, well, in that moment, we bail. We leave the job. We drop that friend. We disconnect from our parents or we separate from our spouse. We merely love with a convenient love, which again, isn't really a love at all. 
A convenient love is kind of like that junior high love. You know what I'm talking about? The junior high love when the seventh grade guy like finds a seventh grade girl and he's like, I'm into you. All right? And they start dating. Okay. Re- I mean, let's be honest. Like, really, what is that? Like, that just means that they change their social media profile and put a heart emoji in there. That's what that really means. And they kind of like wave at each other when they walk by in the hallway and maybe send some text messages during the day. And that's all well and good. I mean, for at least... A good three days. That is until another girl smiles at that guy in the hallway or another guy messages that girl on Snapchat or DMs her. And then all of a sudden, the old guy or the old girl, oh, they, they're not the deal anymore because it's not convenient. And all of a sudden, they bail and they change out. And we laugh at that. And we go, well, like, that's, that, like, that's seventh grade. It's immaturity. Like, they'll, they'll grow up and they'll learn as they become adults. And they'll change. Or do we? Because you think about it, and we grow into adults that bail on marriage because our spouse doesn't act the way we want or maybe meet a certain expectation. Or we bail on friendships because when we heard, well, that friend said something to me about that, to that friend, and it, I just don't like And we leave, we have adults leave jobs and careers because it got a little difficult. And over and over, we're guilty of falling into the rut of a convenient love, looking for how it maybe most benefits us and how it fits into our preferences and our schedule. And again, a convenient love is not a real love at all. And so relationships outside of God's design can be characterized, I think, with a hypocritical love, perhaps a convenient love. But then there's a a third and final one that may be the strongest of all of them, and that's what we'll call the love of self. A relationship outside of God's design can be categorized by the love of self. Do you know the one person in my life that I have to work least to love? It's me. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm really good at loving me. Like, there, there's some days where I wake up and I'm amazed at how well I love me. Like, I'm just so good at that. And sometimes my wife will affirm me and she'll tell me, yes, you're really good at loving you. Right? And I am. I'm, I'm great at that. Like, I know what I love. I know what I like. I know how I tick. I know what my mood is in that moment and in this moment. And I can love me really well. It's kind of like for some of you, if you're a parent, you've had a small child before, you, there's one word you did not have to teach them. Right, the word mine. They just came out. Like they know that word. It's just pre programmed in them. Why? Because the leaning of our flesh, the leaning of our heart, is the love of self. And Paul writes to Timothy in the New Testament, he warns about the power of this and how it begins to manifest itself in our lives and in our culture. In Second Timothy chapter three, verse two, this is what scripture says. It says people will be lovers of themselves. And here's some results of that. They'll be lovers of money and boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient to their parents and ungrateful and unholy and without love. And they'll be unforgiving and slanderous and without self-control and brutal. And they will not be lovers of the good. Paul says in the final days, people will even more gravitate towards love of self. And because of this natural wiring that is in our flesh, guess what? It also begins to translate into our relationships. And when it does, it causes great tension in those moments. Uh, I've never sat down to, to counsel a married couple before, and they just walk in and go, you know what, uh, Brian, you know what, our, our, we're really having problems because we're just loving and thinking about each other too much. Like, we don't even know what to do with this. Like, could you help us out? It's never happened. Why? Because love of self is the thing that sits at the root of the conflict. It's why my four-year-old doesn't want to turn off the TV and go to bed when my wife and I tell him to. It's why grown adults push back on their boss when work gets difficult. 
It's why spouses withhold affection and respect from each other because we continually fight this love of self. And love of self marks our relationships when we try to live in our own strength and under our own design. And wherever love of self roots its head and rears its head, it will always cause great tension and conflict. So relationships outside of God's perfect design are characterized in, in three different ways in that before picture. There's a hypocritical love. There's a convenient love. And then we all have that love of self that we have to battle. But the truth is that we've all been in relationships characterized by these traits at some point or another. Maybe for some of you, if you were honest, you're there right now. In your marriage, in your relationship with your parents, whether you're still in the house or you're not in their house. Maybe it's a relationship with your kids. It's a relationship with a coworker, or friends or in-laws. But all of us have experienced that difficulty at some point or another. And if we could take a picture, perhaps, of some of the relationships in your life right now, maybe it would be very reflective of those before pictures that we saw earlier on the screen, filled with messiness and chaos and brokenness and frustration. But I think today, if we were all willing to get really honest and go, there's at least one relationship, if not multiple relationships in my life that are really in need of a remodel. They're in need of God's design for them. That I think God has some truth for us today. And I want us to look at that in Romans chapter 12. But before we begin to, to walk through those verses, I want us to understand this. That if you're doing life apart from Christ, and I, I don't mean showing up to church the Sunday after Easter, but I mean if Jesus has never become Lord and leader of your life, not just an idea for a Sunday experience, but if he's not the daily life-giving master and Lord of your life where you've surrendered to go, God, it's all of me surrendered to follow you. And I need you, as we sang, to resurrect me, to, to raise my dead heart, my old life. I'm trading it. I'm exchanging it. And I want to daily and continually follow you. If you've not gotten to that point, then the, the after picture that we're about to paint is going to be really, really hard for you to obtain. In fact, it's going to be impossible for you to obtain apart from a life in Christ. You can try, but it's going to be really exhausting. It's going to be really frustrating. And you'll probably end up in a lot of counseling. But the truth is that God says, hey, when you seek me with all of your heart, and when you trust me, and you trust my design and my plan for you, then I have an after picture of how I believe love can truly manifest itself in your life and in your relationships. And so I want us to go to Romans chapter 12 and pick up in verse 9. This is what Paul writes. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. The first characteristic, I believe, of a relationship under God's design is a sincere love. A sincere love. The Living Bible actually translates uh, this verse 9, and it says, don't just pretend that you love others, but really love them. I love that. Don't just pretend that you love others, but really love them. You see, this is the complete opposite of a hypocritical love. Sincere love is not just lip service, but sincere love is a love that is possessed and expressed. It's a love that is owned and demonstrated. And sincere love is, is not a fake it till you make it kind of love. 
You ever been in a fake it till you make it kind of moment, right? Maybe you're in a conversation at work or in a social place and like everybody knows what's going on. They're talking about a news event or they're talking about a project at work and you have no idea, right? And what do you do in that moment? It's just like a whole lot of, okay, uh uh-huh, yeah. Just so they don't ask you something, but the truth is you're just looking to bail out as quick as possible. There's students, like have you been at school before? It's when the teacher gives the project and everybody else seems to be totally locked in and you're like, you could have just spoken a foreign language. I have no idea what you're saying right now, right? Sincere love, it's, it's not a fake it till you make it kind of love. But sincere love is driven by genuine emotion and feeling that is demonstrated. That is demonstrated. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes this. He says, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. See, a sincere love is based less on a feeling and more on a choice. We've all been guilty at some point in our life of loving more on a feeling-based way than in a choice-based way. Think about it. It's why that high school or college dating relationship that you were in like fanned out after about uh, two months. Wow, because the feeling faded. But love ultimately, as we see, is a choice. And when you choose to love in your marriage, in your family, or in your friendships with a sincere love, There are many days where it will be more leaning on a choice than it is on a feeling. It's not about the warm fuzzies that they give to you or what benefit can they bring to you, but it's about the commitment that you have made to be a person of love in the relationship that God has given you. And I think that's part of what God's calling us to because this love described here is is a love referred to as agape love. In Scripture, there's, there's four different parts of love, and this is agape love. Agape love is a love of choice. It's the highest kind of love. Agape love is an intentional, conscious choice. Check this out. Not motivated by superficial appearance, by emotional attraction, or sentimental relationship. There's nothing wrong with some of those things, but those are not the basis for sincere love. Contrary to the hypocritical love, a sincere love is not just in it to see what I can get. A sincere love does not ask, what can you give me? But instead, it first asks the question of what can I give to you? What can I give to you? And the love of someone who claims to be in Christ should not be covered with a mask, but it should be genuine, and you should be willing to let it cost you something. Perhaps the greatest cost that it is is that it costs us death to self. But we have to lay aside our own preferences and our own desires for the good of others. In a world where much that looks real is not real, as those who claim to have Christ's love in us, we must be ready and willing to demonstrate that real love that Christ has put in us, expressed not only in words, but also in action. It's a love that doesn't just text a friend and say, I hope you feel better, but it's a love that shows up on the doorstep. See, it's a love that doesn't just tell our kids that we love them, but it's a love that gives up our time even in the middle of busyness to let them know that we love them. Agape love is a sacrificial, action-based love. So let me ask you some questions. Does that sound like the love that you're demonstrating in your relationships? In your marriage, are you living with an agape, sacrificial, action-based love? In your relationship with your kids or with your parents, is love sincere? In your relationship with your friends or those coworkers, is it a love merely based on words or is it a love that has become based on action and how you demonstrate 
what you claim that Christ has given to you. See, the first type of love in this after picture in God's design is, is a sincere love. But go back to Romans chapter 12, pick up verse 10. It says, be devoted to one another in love. Paul writes to say that the second characteristic of a, of a relationship that's in God's design is what we'll call a committed love. It's a committed love. I like to think of it this way. The committed love takes a completely different approach to, to its opposite, the convenient love. See, the convenient love is kind of like a microwave kind of love, right? We want it quick. We want it simple, not requiring much work, and we want it when we want it. But, but a committed love, on the other hand, is kind of like an old charcoal smoker. It takes some time, and it takes work, and it may not serve you exactly when you want it, but it is deep, and it is rich, and it cannot be matched. Uh, last week, I had the honor of being a part of the celebration service for my wife's grandfather, who died at the age of 90 in Louisiana. And man, he was an incredible guy. He was a father of three. Uh, he served our country and fought in war. He was a pilot, and he worked hard on his land and at his job for as long as his little physical body would hold up. But if he was here today, he would tell you that the greatest accomplishment of his life, apart from his relationship with Jesus, was his relationship with his wife of 73 years. Three years ago, on their 70th anniversary, the state of Louisiana honored them for their commitment and their devotion to one another in the relationship of marriage. You see, that's not a convenient love, but that is a committed love that in a world where till death do us part has turned into until it gets difficult and then we part, Jesus today calls us to walk with a committed love that potentially may cost us something. And let's be honest today, in any other segment of the world, this type of love doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It's why we hear of a celebrity breakup or divorce every single week. There's new drama between friends every single day on Facebook. A committed love is not what the world is selling us. When the world sells us convenience, God today calls us to be committed, to be committed. But here's what you must understand. This, this committed love is not something you just go home and mix up this afternoon. A committed love is only found by continual renewal of our heart and our mind through the truth of God's word and through the power and impact of God's spirit in us. That's why Romans chapter 12, earlier in this same chapter, Paul would write this. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's why the key today, that's why we can't just stand up here and go, hey, you want a healthy relationship? Why don't you just go hang out and check out the latest chick flick movie and figure out how they work that out? It's not why we can just say, go to the bookstore today and grab the latest self-help book and see what that'll do for your relationship. Or read that viral post that's going on social media. That will fix your marriage. That'll take care of your friendship. That'll help you have a happy job. No, that's why we realize today from the truth of Scripture that the healthiest foundation we can lay for our marriage, for our family, for our friendship, is the truth of God's Word and the power and the impact of spiritual community and walking in a relationship with Jesus. Why is that? Because what begins to happen 
As we really begin to walk out, I think what we sang a while ago, that we begin to believe that God is with us, that God's for us, and that the resurrected king who overcame sin and death and hell and the good, that he's resurrecting us when we choose to follow him and surrender ourselves to him. When that really begins to register in here, it's not a song on the screen, but it's the truth of our journey, then our love tank begins to be expanded because we understand God's great love for us. And our capacity to love the others around us is increased. I think that's what Peter was saying in 1 Peter chapter 122. When he says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, not by merely hearing it, but obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. So love one another deeply from the heart. I think in a world that sells convenience and convenience reigns and give it to me when I want it, how I want it, and make it quick. God today says if you want to have a long, sturdy, stable relationship, you must learn to base it on a committed love that is first found in Christ. So let me ask you again with some questions. Are you loving with a committed love in your relationships? Like in your marriage, are you practicing commitment? Or is it much more based on convenience? In your relationship with your kids, as you love them, as you discipline them, as you point their heart towards Christ, are you committed? Or is it really what fits best in your schedule and what's convenient for you? With that friend that is on your nerves as of late, but you know that God's put you in their life to impact them, are you being committed with that teacher, that boss that's pressuring you and pushing you a little further and stretching you in this season? Are you backing out because it's getting difficult? Are you willing to stay committed to demonstrate the love that God has given to us? See, I think part of the after picture is, is not only a sincere love, but it's also a committed love. But I think there's one third and final part, and I want us to go back to Romans 12 to see the next few verses. Uh, pick up verse 10 where we left off. It says, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Here's your final characteristic, I believe, of a, of a relationship under God's design. And that is a love that gives honor. A love that gives honor. See, this third and final characteristic of love is perhaps the hardest to fight for because it wars against the love of self. But yet, Paul is very clear in verse 10. He says, honor one another above yourselves. Let's be honest. That doesn't come naturally. We don't wake up longing to do that. And I think that's why Paul maybe goes on here in Romans 12, and he begins to lay out some of the ingredients of this recipe. He says, hey, if you, if you really want to walk out this committed love and this sincere love, and if you really want to figure out what does it mean to honor others above yourselves, then here's some things you can put into practice. And he begins to lay them out. In verse 11, Paul says, keep your spiritual zeal by serving the Lord, remembering how Jesus has loved and served you. In other words, remember the way that Jesus honored us by taking the lowest place of the cross so that he could lift us up to the place of finding life and hope in him. And he says, in your marriage, in your dating, in your friendships, in your work relationships, it's not the world or the culture that's the standard, but it's Jesus' way of honoring 
that becomes the standard. And it's about how can you leverage what God has given you to honor others above yourselves. And then he goes on in verse 12, Paul says, be patient in affliction. The reality is for some of you, you're in the middle of great relationship affliction right now. Your relationship with your kids is more distant than ever before. Your relationship with your spouse is filled with tension. Your relationships at work are frustrating every single day. And you came in today perhaps just about ready to end it and give up and bail out. And God looks at you today through the truth of his word and he says, be patient in affliction. And I realize for some of you today, like, that's probably the last thing that you wanted to hear. Be patient. Are you kidding me? Like, like I've been patient. Like, the patient level was here, and I'm here. But I think what God says today, and what i am become convinced, is that if we remain faithful to God's call, even in the middle of affliction, he will remain faithful to supply the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual energy and stamina that we need to endure even in the middle of great affliction. I think that's what Paul could write in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Paul would say, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now, let's be honest, Paul, that sounds crazy. What are you saying? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Perhaps for some of you today, God brought you here on day one of the relationship series because you were in a place where you were ready to go, it's time to give up. And God looks at you today and he goes, be patient. Don't turn it in yet. Don't give up. Remember, I never gave up on you. And he says, be patient even in affliction. The end of verse 12, Paul adds on and he says, be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. Can I ask you an honest question? When is the last time you prayed for the relationships in your life? Really? If you're anything like me, I'm really good at stepping in and going to fix it how I think it should be fixed and with the wisdom I think I've got. But sometimes I'm very slow to take it to the very God who has given me that relationship. And what I found personally is that it's very hard to live in conflict and tension with someone that I'm obediently and consistently praying for. And so I ask you today, are you praying for the relationships in your life? But there's one final part in verse 13, and Paul adds on two words, and he says this, practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. The original wording here indicates a willing hospitality to strangers. That's what he's actually saying. He said it meant willing, being willing to open up all one had to outsiders and strangers to demonstrate love. I mean, if we really think about that in today's culture, we're like, that's, that's a little out there. Like, like, there's a safe level, and then like, that's way beyond the safe level. What was Paul saying? And I think maybe here's what God's trying to speak to us today. That yes, that's the complete opposite motives of the love of self. That's a 180 degree spectrum and perspective different than, hey, make it about me, 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 and what conveniences me. This love of others and honoring of others, that's the other end of the spectrum. But I think what God is trying to say is that if we want to really find and live in healthy, life-giving relationships, we'll begin to realize it starts with being others-focused. 
And before we ask the question of how can you serve me, we first ask the question of how can I be of service to you? And before we look to find a platform to honor ourselves, we begin to go, how can I use what God's given me to honor you above myself? And we begin to lean in to go, how can I change my schedule and my preferences and my life, not for love of self, but for love of you? Not because it's the easy thing to do, because it's not. Not because it's what we heard at church during the relationship series. And not because we go, hey, if I do this, like maybe long term, maybe the next month or the next six weeks or the next six, six months, it's going to come back around to me. It's going to be great. No. He says we begin to walk this out because that's the same exact way that God through Christ has loved and served and honored us. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.